0: Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with host Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast, along with the learning modules and discussion blog, in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, Coming Up For Air.
1: Good morning, everybody. At least it's morning for us here on Coming Up For Air on August 13th. We're back from a little bit of a hiatus. Here with both of my co-podcasters. Kayla, how are you this morning? Good. I'm glad to be back. Kayla Solomon has her group on the Allies in Recovery website And Dominique. Simone Levine. Hi, Dominique. How are you? I'm fine. Welcome, everybody. So, Kayla, do you want to introduce what our topic is today, what we're going to be discussing?
2: Yes. Our topic today is it appears that your loved one is trying to kill themselves through their behavior, especially through using drugs. And what do you do and what's what's it about? So we're going to take it apart today and really look at what all of that means.
1: I think it's important to note that we're talking about our loved ones expressing suicidal ideations, right? You hear that, you you may hear that frequently, I'm gonna kill myself, I'll just die versus also us perceiving it that way. So perceiving the drug use as a long-term suicide or a long-term killing themselves.
3: Just to add to what Lori's saying, it's it's actually the parents that we hear saying, you know, my loved one, my son, my daughter is, is trying to kill themselves with this drug use. So that's the statement that for us seems the clearest and what we're going to try to unpack a little bit this morning. So there's the true suicide talk. And what do you do as a lay person listening to that, given the context of, knowing your son or daughter, knowing the drug addiction, knowing the potential other things that are going on for them. And so many families talk to us about how they're trying, like their loved one is trying to hurt themselves. Why do they want to hurt themselves? Why do they want to kill themselves? Because that's what they're doing. They're trying to
2: kill themselves. Or that's what we think that they're doing.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Kayla. It's our perception. It's the family members' perception, I wonder, I I see it a little bit different. I don't think that the majority of the time, the person is trying to kill themselves. In fact, I see it very much the opposite, that actually the person who's using substances is trying to cope and, and trying to feel normal, trying to feel or even feel well and that's why they're using substances versus trying to kill themselves long-term. I also think that- To the point, to the point,
3: uh, Lori, that people take drugs to not kill themselves.
1: Exactly. It's the complete opposite. I, I believe it's the complete opposite, but, but I often hear from families in the groups that I have, the rest groups, I will hear from family members One, expressions from their loved one that they would like to die or I'm going to kill myself or. And um, it's really hard to kind of like balance that out because I believe that a lot of the time it's an expression of desperation. Yeah. Oftentimes it's perceived by the family member as one of two things, either manipulation. They're trying to manipulate me, which that that may be. That may be a trying to manipulate the situation, but it, it is an expression of desperation, an expression of, no, this is this is how desperate I am. Or the family member also sees it as and it could be a suicidal ideation expressing that they're going to attempt suicide. And how do you balance that out? How do you determine what is an expression of desperation And what is a true, I'm going to attempt to hurt myself. It's really quite a balancing act and really difficult to deal with.
2: And just clinically, if you think about this, people, I think all of us, and this is where I want to normalize this, when we feel like we don't have any other options, pretty much everybody I know has that thought, it would just be easier if I was dead. So I just want to normalize that thought because I think that we pathologize it And it really is a normal thought. If I don't have any choices and it seems like the simplest way out is to die and be done with it, then that seems like a viable choice. And I think that's where the discussion needs to take place, because if we're dealing with people who are dealing with substances as their only tool in their toolbox, then that's what they're using to deal with the desperation, to fill the void, to fill the hole, to give themselves a sense that they're doing something and they're alleviating the pain And so I I feel like the conversation has to take place in the realm of what are your choices and what's making you feel that way and what's going on. I feel like it's an opportunity to have a conversation because truthfully, even as a clinician, people say things like that all the time and you don't automatically hospitalize people. It's not that simple. Like when somebody says, I want to kill myself. My question is why? You know, I don't say, do you have a plan first? I'm like, well, why do you want to kill yourself? And so that opens up the conversation. So it goes back to this communication piece of being curious and fascinated with somebody and not having that knee-jerk reaction of terror that somebody's saying that to you. It's information that you need to pursue, that you need to explore, that you need to reach for connection. Because sometimes just the fact that you're reaching for connection, that actually can soothe the other person. And I'm not saying that everybody's going to communicate and everybody's going to be open, but usually when somebody says, I want to try to kill myself, they're asking for help. They're asking for something. Right? And and if you don't say, Okay, let me get you to the hospital or why are you doing this? But you say, Why do you well what's going on? Why do you want to hurt yourself? What's going on? What do you what's making you think that? What's making you feel that? That's just my way of thinking about it.
1: I agree with you. I, acknowledging it and not trying to push it away but also not overreacting to it, right, at the same time, which is incredibly difficult for a family member because the talk of I'm going to kill myself, it can cause a visceral, deep, deep reaction in the loved one, especially depending on what your experiences have been in life.
3: I would say for both, Lori, right? Yeah. next, Next week, we're interviewing Dr. Carl Eric Fischer from Columbia, and he's gonna to talk to us about those visceral triggers and reactions, what they do to us and internally and how they, they fog and block thinking and, and ability to pause and, and do everything we're always suggesting to do in craft work, right? So we, we have to reduce those sorts of reactions in us and not have them as often. What I wanted to go back just quickly and point out something Kayla said, because it was really a, a very clean action step, which is to first, Lori said, acknowledge, you acknowledge that. Oh, I, I hear you. You, you think you want to kill yourself. So why? What is making? Why? Those are two p- great words because they're open. And when you're interviewing and when you're talking to someone and you're trying to get more from them as opposed to a closed ended question, the what and the why, just remember those two words, what and why start your sentence there. And hopefully you'll tumble out with enough of a question. That is that curiosity that Kayla is talking about. What's going on? Why do you feel this way?
2: To follow with with that, which is really important, which is it's very, once somebody gives you the why and what they're thinking and what their process is, that's not your invitation to start to fix it for them because that is the other danger zone oh your life you know you feel lonely or whatever you have all these things going on it's you drink too much yeah (laughs) if you you want to go into treatment you want to do this do you what you if you drank less you'd probably feel better i think you should go (laughs) call a friend whatever That'll make you feel better. You have friends, you just don't call them. Yes. It's like, it's so, and, and believe me, I am completely guilty of this. So this is a very difficult thing not to do, which is go into the advice column. Like we all become dear Abby at this moment. Like they asked us a question and we're giving them advice. They didn't ask, can you help me not kill myself? And you don't give advice unless somebody asks you for advice. So your job, and this goes back to the communication piece is tell me, you keep asking more questions. What are you thinking? What do you think would work for you right now? What do you think would be helpful? And you assume that they're smarter than you started out thinking in the first place.
1: We call it drop your agenda. This is what we we are constantly in, in rest meetings. Drop your agenda. When you're communicating, drop your agenda. And we're all guilty of it. It's not just having a discussion with someone with substance use disorder, it's we're having a communication so that we can respond. We're not really listening. We're just listening to, well, now I'm going to give you my piece. And really this communication is about Man. taking your agenda out of it and what your response is. And in fact, spend a lot of time not giving a response, not giving your thoughts and your ideas. And, and like you said, Kayla, asking them What's going to work for you? But I do have one bit of a challenge because, and this is just anticipation of what the response is going to be with a what and a why. Oftentimes the response back to that the individual, and it could be a spouse, a partner, it could be mom, dad, a sibling, but oftentimes the response back has to do with the person. You're not this you don't love me. You aren't caring for me. And it's important to anticipate that that's probably going to be a response. And most family members can probably anticipate that on their own based on history and conversations that they've had in the past with their loved one. But being prepared for that response as well, I think is an important piece of it that Once it starts to become, I'm feeling this way because of you, that's when there has to be, okay, do I need to do a wellness check or do I need, I've got to get going, finding some way to set that boundary down. And we all do this, right? We all blame the other person for how we're feeling a lot. We all do it. It's just on steroids when we're talking about someone struggling with substance use disorder.
2: Does that make sense? It it totally makes sense. But to me, this is the fork in the road because I just because I this is entertainment for me. I would say, oh, so you think I don't love you. Tell me more about why you think that. Because I like to stay in for that stuff. I'm like, like tell me what, what makes you say that? And, and they're like, well, you know, you don't give me money when I need it. So because I don't give you money, I'm into the mirroring thing because I don't give you money and reflective I don't listening. You, yeah. I don't give you rides and I don't give you money. You think I don't love you. Is that right? So I
1: agree with you, Kayla, and I am more likely personally to do that as well, but When people are first starting out and are early on their journey with their loved one, the visceral, again, the visceral feelings that come up, oftentimes it's important to kind of get away from that and calm yourself down. And I see a lot of people who can't handle that feeling right now right? Maybe over time, they'll get better at it. And I see it when we do, we do reflective listening in the rest meetings as well. And we, we do that as well. Like just keep reflecting back, reflecting, well, why is that? Or what, you know, what's making you feel that way? Or I also think that family members are dealing with their own incredible emotion, trauma, feelings, difficult things, and being able to say, you know what, I got to protect myself right now, right, and I've got to calm myself down so that I can come back and have a conversation with you. And I also think it's really good role modeling because they are throwing this at you and being able to say, "Hey, you know what? When when an adult gets." overwhelmed or their emotions are kind of taking control of everything this is what adults do they kind of walk away take a
2: break and then we come back and solve the problem it's flooded when you get flooded because mm-hmm. you can't function when you get flooded because you're overwhelmed and all you're you're reactive and not able to respond right so that makes total sense and that i that's actually true and w- what i'm saying is that There's there's a spectrum of responses. One of them is to walk away and say, "Okay, we'll talk later. The other one is if you feel like you're more able to not take it personally. And I think that's a skill unto itself is this kind of protection of not ingesting what is being given to you. And that's a really, really, really important way to protect yourself of looking at what they're saying and doing not as a, a personal attack on you, but as their process and as their perception and their issue. And so how do you not take that in? And that's a different piece of work. Right. But that right. That's ultimately the goal here is this is their thing and I'm not going to take it in. So in craft, we talk about uh, change talk,
3: right? So we look at our loved ones for moments actually just like this where they're talking about a change in their motivation because they're talking about something they want that's that's kind of reaching a wish for something i I wish i could take a class or i wish i could get my license you know or it's a dip a wish or a dip a dip is I, i can't get off the couch i don't know what's wrong with me i feel like killing myself so that's where it starts and if your what's and your why's end up convincing you that you're at a place that this is serious, I do want you to know what the next steps are, right? So it's a wish or a dip. And and that's when you're gonna talk about treatment. I mean, if your loved one's in the habit of saying, I just wanna die, you know, 10 times a day, you're not. But if you end up in a serious conversation and you're scared at all, you are not the professional, don't judge it, you can't, you're not trained. Please bring in an expert, get your loved one. You've got the list. You've been ready for this for a while. Can we get you an evaluation? Can I get you a psychiatrist? You know, I've got this whole list and you help them get to the right place. You always prepare for this. And that is by the way, how with the work of craft you get so many people into treatment because you've identified the opening, this window this brief amount of time and you're in a serious conversation about something and you can offer help, it's much more likely to be accepted. 70% in all the studies of CRAFT, and there have been dozens and dozens around the world at this point, 60 to 70% can get their loved one into treatment with just that.
2: Then to say the line about what, how you're gonna make the statement about, are you ready or whatever. How did you say that again?
3: I, to them, I said, I would, I would say, look, you know, it's, it's sounding, you said you want to kill yourself. And for me, it's sounding really possible after we've talked and I'm, I'm not a professional. I I can't decide for you or for me, whether you're safe. I have this list. Here's where we could go. You just need to call for three, three o'clock. And this person's going to answer and talk to you. And you've got the, you know, you've got the retreat line or the crisis line or you've got everything figured out ahead of time because, you know, he says this and you've always worried. Or, you know, he says this. And you've never worried, but he's sounding different this time. You just want yourself covered. And it's like everything else that has to do with the mental health and the addiction of your loved one. You are not the professional. You cannot be expected to evaluate what you're seeing. If it scares you, call in the professionals. It's an opportunity to get better help, not, not count on yourself, not scare yourself even worse. And it's, an, it, and it's an opportunity to show your loved one that what they're doing is scary and that they are look, looking right. into the eyes of a professional. It's getting worse. All of that, allowing natural consequences, you know, so letting them letting them end up in the hands of a professional.
1: I like that approach. Well, you know I like that approach, but I like that approach anyway. And and everything Kayla is saying as well is it validates the other person's feelings. And when you validate someone's feelings, you free them up. They feel heard, which I often say a person starts to heal when they feel heard. And I also think because a person feels heard and they're kind of they're freed up and they're noticed. Yeah, that's painful. That sounds really difficult to be dealing with. It just takes the burden off and they're more open to trying something, something different. And it might not end up being what you think the person needs, but you've opened the door just a a little bit, a little bit. And, And often, I say back down if they're like, no, you know, no, they're fighting it. Okay, okay, well, you know what? It's here. If you need it, it's here. You think about it. I know you're gonna find what's gonna work for you. That's my other thing is trying to give the other let the other person know that I feel that that they know what's best for them and trying to empower them to make their own
2: decisions for themselves. I call that the paradoxical intervention where it's that you say something that you think is absolutely untrue, yep. but it's the, so it's the opposite. So it's like, I know you're very good at getting what you need. You know, I know you'll know when it's time. And you don't necessarily really feel that way, but that statement gives the person their power back. And the reason I asked you that question, Dominique, is I was thinking there it's at that moment that most people say, you need help. You need to go speak to a psychiatrist. Okay. You need to go. And and what I, when I'm listening to you speak, Dominique, what I'm hearing is it sounds more like, I'm hearing what you're saying. It sounds like you're in this really terrible state that you feel really bad. Do you think this is a good time for you to get help? Or it sounds like this might be a good time for you to get help. Do you agree with that? So you're always asking for agreement and not making definitive statements because the conflict comes when you take the other person's power away because that's what they're reacting to. They're, I'm not stupid. You always think this, whatever. It's like, I trust you that you're going to make good decisions. Do you think that this is a time that you might want to get help because there's this whole list of resources that I have and you get to choose one of them, if that's what you, if you feel like that would be helpful to you. Well,
3: yeah, and is, the list, hopefully the the list is blah, blah, blahs that are going to work are, in terms of getting them in. Right. You figured out, I, I like to repeat myself because this list can really cut down on resistance to treatment. If you just, you start with working on your list. It's going to take you weeks to figure it out. It's the worst job in the world of calling and get, being put in those phone trees and on hold for 20 minutes just to find out your kid isn't admissible to this program because of ZXY. And and so it's really important you start that list early and you've always got it at the ready and you don't have to say much. Maybe it's time here. You know, give give it a try if you want I'm, I'm just giving you information I'm, I'm trying to partner with you and I'm just making this stuff available because I know it's really hard to figure out the system. And that's what I've done. And I'm, it's on the side of the fridge and you can say it at any dip. Don't repeat yourself, but right. you can say it and, and you can say it's there. I've done you know, this is what I was suggested. I do.
2: I thought it was a good idea. And you want to keep it up to date because it's like you could have the most amazing list in all you know, anywhere, and it could be out of date and irrelevant. Right. So what's the waiting list at that particular place? What are the criteria? Do you need to have a therapist referral? There's a million questions that you have to ask and you need, and it can change at any time. And I will tell you that if this COVID thing surges up again, it creates limitations once again. Right. You know, how many, you know, there's going to be fewer people there or there's fewer clinicians available. You have to really find that out. One quick question. So we
1: talked about that, like that immediate moment when they're expressing, you know, I want to kill myself. But what we haven't talked about um, is a lot of family members perceive the long-term use of substances as killing themselves over time. And we really haven't addressed that. What are your thoughts? Dominique? Well, I actually think
3: as a former user that it was the drugs that were saving my life and and that that was true for many years you know i wasn't i wasn't getting the regular mental health treatment that i needed as a kid and based on 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 what had happened to me and the development years were all spent you know seeking a bit of euphoria and i searched i've searched high and low for euphoria my whole life because of some probably chronic depression from PTSD.
1: I think um, the word trying here, that they're trying to kill themselves yes. over time, yes. Is, yes. is that true? I, I don't think it is. I don't um, think so either. And, right? I don't, I don't think it is. There's...
2: One of the things I say to people is, you know, this is self-medication, you're acting as your own psychiatrist, and you're a quack. <laughs> That's basically how it sounds to me. It's like, you know, I know it's obnoxious, but it's like that. They're being their own psychiatrist. It's like, well, you know, I noticed that because you'll find people will find their drugs. And I think that it's incredibly accurate, actually, even though I call them quacks, because people who have ADD will like the the more speedy drugs. And you won't find people with ADD on the opiates because they're more likely to take cocaine, to use cocaine and meth That's self-medication and people who have anxiety use particular drugs and people who have depression use particular drugs. So they are actually self-medicating, which is not trying to kill yourself. It's trying to treat yourself. You don't know what you're doing and you're in a very slippery slope environment. And that's the problem.
1: And I think that's the human condition in general. So if that, right. I think that's, we're all trying to feel better all the time. Right. I can't wait for the day to be over. I want to go home and just cook my dinner and, you know, put my warm, comfy slippers on and walk around the house or have a glass of wine. How many people (laughs) say that? Right. Everybody does. So for me, i don't see it that way i don't see it as trying to kill themselves i see it as trying to feel better all the time just trying to feel better and i also see it as very ingenious i see it, see it as very isn't that what you want is relief immediate relief and they found something that gives pretty quick relief to what you're well, feeling i have got I have
3: to say it's the quickest relief and the most reliable, even though it turns out that you end up chasing, most of us who have done this for years know, you end up chasing an early high. It, it, it really is about looking for alternative ways um, and, and the human condition is such a good thing to end on. It's, it is the human condition.
1: Well, this was another great conversation. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. And I look forward to more.
2: I'm just going to do the quick summary. Okay, so is that today what we talked about is the suicidal ideation stated out loud versus is somebody trying to kill themselves? with regular use of substances and how do you differentiate and what opportunities does that afford? And also how do you actually intervene in a way that does not make it worse? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, Dominique. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of coming up for air spoke to you.